We're in Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read to you verses 7 through 10. That's probably as far as we're going to get tonight. We might not even finish 10. Uh, Galatians 6 verses 7 through 10. Now before I read this to you, let me just tell you. This passage has been one that I have actually dreaded. This passage of scripture has scared me to death for most of my Christian walk. But I cannot wait to show you how much God unlocked for me and how much I love this passage now. What used to scare me is actually a promise of blessing. And I want you to see it. Now, we're going to deal with some of the warnings that's here as well. But if you'll listen to what the whole of Scripture says according to this passage, hopefully you won't see this as a threat as much as you'll see it as a blessing. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But... The one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's as far as we're going to get tonight, and I can't wait to show you some of this stuff. But I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. I want you to write this down. The law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. This is what we're going to be looking at tonight. Paul is using a scriptural picture that has been all the way through the scriptures. And it's an agricultural picture of the, what we call the law of the harvest. In other words, whatever you sow, that you're going to reap. In other words, if you plant corn, are you going to get wheat? No, you're going to get corn. That is the law of the harvest. And we're going to begin to show you some of the places in the Bible that the Bible talks about this. And we'll look at a few right now. But you're going to see many more throughout the whole study. But again, the law of the harvest is what I want you to get in your brain, because that's been what God's been using as I've been kind of putting this in my heart after I've been doing, done the study to help me really know what it means to walk in the spirit and live in the spirit and to look forward to what God's doing and see the blessing in it. The law of the harvest, what you sow that you will listen to that again, you will reap. All right. Now, go with me to Job chapter four. Book of Job. Now, a lot of people might not know where Job is, but you know where Psalms is. So go to Psalms and back up one book. Job chapter 4, look at verse 8. Come into your studies, we learn what the books are about. There you go. <laughs> Job 4, verse 8 says, As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. What I want you to see is we're going to look at some of these scriptures is all the way through the Bible. This law of the harvest has been taught. But I'm going to read it to you again. As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Now, remember, this is Eliphaz speaking. And I don't want you thinking, well, we can't believe what Eliphaz says, because later on, God says they didn't speak right of him. Remember, like I taught you before, that everything that these three friends say about God is theoretically and theologically correct. It didn't apply in Job's situation. That's the danger we have of sometimes having a blanket theology that we want to just assume that we know what God's doing in everyone else's life. And we just throw scriptures at them. Folks, listen to me. There's truth in God's word, but whether or not it specifically applies to certain people or not, we may not know. In Job's situation, had he sown iniquity? No. 
he was reaping some consequences that people thought was because he had sown iniquity, but it wasn't what was going on in Job's situation. But this law of the harvest truth is still true. Those who plow or sow iniquity are going to reap the same. Go over a couple books to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. It says, therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, we're going to come back to this passage later on in the study and look at the whole section from verses 20 to the end of the chapter. And this will make more sense. But I just want you to see that the psalmist here says, I mean, so that the, uh, Solomon says and that they will eat the fruit of their way. They will reap what they sow. All right. That, that's what the passage is saying. Go with me to the book of Hosea. And I want you to go to chapter 8 and then we're going to go to chapter 10. Hosea. Hosea chapter 8. Now again, Hosea chapter 8 might be hard for some of you to find, but just go to Hosea 7. <laughs> yeah. In Duke's Bible, he says it's after Hezekiah, but all right. Hosea chapter 8, look at verse 7. It says, for they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. And again, do you see the picture of the law of the harvest? What you plant, what you sow, you will reap. Go to chapter 10 and look at verse 12. You see it on the positive side now as well. Chapter 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Again, in the same way in which you sow iniquity and you're going to reap the same, you sow righteousness and you will reap the same. So this is where he's going here. Now again, for years, and I'm going to show you how this isn't really what's going on, but for years I read this section in Galatians 6 as a, as a threat that God's going to get you for everything you do. And I want you to see tonight as we get into this, that actually what Paul is doing is pointing out and reminding them of the law of the harvest that has been there all the way throughout the scriptures. All right. So and, and in time, you're going to see that it's really not talking about how God's going to get you for what you do, but actually that the sin itself carries with it the natural consequences. And we'll see that in, in more detail. Go to Second Corinthians chapter five. As in any agricultural harvesting, you might not see the fruit or your results right away. Right. But the harvest will come. And that's something you got to keep in mind. Second Corinthians chapter five. We're going to look at just verse 10. In second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10, Paul says this talking to Christians here, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Some of your translations say bad. The best translation actually is worthless. Instead of evil or bad, the best translation for that actually is worthless. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will receive what we've been planting. If what we have been planting has been worthless, 
you won't get anything for it. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't reap iniquity if you sow it in this life, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But for right now, just keep in mind, we're looking at the law of the harvest. What you put in is what you're going to get out. All right? Now, 2 Corinthians 5.10 leads us to an important distinction, though. Remember, Paul's readers are assumed to be Christians. And this is very important. Because the law of the harvest for the lost is different from the law of the harvest for Christians. There are some similarities. But are you going to be sent to hell if you sin after salvation? No. no, no, no. Remember, you've been set free from the penalty of sin. That doesn't mean that you won't reap some of the stuff that you sow if you continue to sin after salvation. But it, well, you will not reap damnation. You will not reap hell. So here he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ for Christians. But even at the judgment seat of Christ for Christians, we're going to see a reckoning according to what we've done after salvation in the body. All right. Now, go to Galatians chapter 6 back again and look at verse 1 and verse 10 to remind you of the fact that he's writing to people he assumes to be Christians here. He, what's the first word of Galatians 6.1? Brothers, he's writing to Christians here. Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you are spiritual to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. All right. So again, talking about those who actually have fallen into sin, who've been caught in a transgression. You who are spiritual need to restore him as we just looked at in the spirit of gentleness. He's writing to Christians. Christians still sin. All right. That hopefully it makes a lot of you feel better. You know, look at verse 10. In the same context, between verse 1 and verse 10, he says again, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So he's talking to Christians here, because uh, they wouldn't be of the household of faith if you weren't already a Christian yourself. So he's writing to Christians, all right? So we now got to deal with something that Paul said, because here he says in verse 7, Don't be deceived, God's not mocked, for whatever one sows, he'll also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. Some of your translations say destruction. We'll get to more of that in a second. But then it goes on and says, But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now some of you say, Wait a minute, I thought I already got eternal life. What do you mean I'm going to... Well... Let me just clarify this for a second here, and we'll go into it in a little bit. Paul is not talking about any type of losing salvation or earning salvation through our actions. Let me say that again. Here in this, reminding them of the law of the harvest, he's not talking about any type of losing your salvation or even earning your salvation through our actions. He's simply reminding them of the law of the harvest. And that's very important to be able to study this and, and interpret it properly. You reap what you sow, and it will be evidenced over time. That's simply the basic thing that Paul was saying. But what I want to do now is I want to go in deeper. What I want to do is I want to just take from what he's been saying here and actually do a study of what does the Bible actually have to say about reaping sin or sowing sin and reaping sin? What does the Bible actually say about sowing righteousness and reaping righteousness? I don't want to just say, hey, whatever you put in that you'll get out and move on. I felt like God said there is so much here in the word to deal with this. So what I want to do is I want to just remind you about how this passage intimidated me. But now I have seen a, a tremendous blessing in it. But before we can even get to the blessing, let's look at the warning that is here. How does Paul start off verse 7? He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Some translations even say God will not be made a fool of. You can't fool God. So this is pretty serious. When he's talking about the law of the harvest, he gets their attention, though, by saying, don't think for a second that you can pull one over on God. Even though we're still under grace and not, on, and not under law, 
Sin is still a serious matter to God, folks. Now, the good news is I don't have to spend a lot of time reminding you of that because if you have the Spirit of God within in you, you already know that. Because the Spirit of God within you convicts you immediately, does He not? When you sin, you know it was sin. And he does it in love, but He does it firmly, and you know that He takes sin seriously. But I want to just kind of show you a couple of scriptures. Uh, go to Romans chapter 6. And we'll look at verses 12 through 15. I want you to reread this section we've looked at a few times, but from this context of how serious sin is to God. It says in Romans 6, verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members or your body parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members or your body parts to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. We're not even going to get into the rest of his explanation. He, his answer to, hey, can we just go on sinning then since we're not under law, but under grace? He says, no. All right. You know, I said no. He said, heck no. All right. He was very, I mean, I mean I, I'm not trying to just be funny. Literally, this is what Paul said. Some of you are like, oh, I can't believe he even said heck no. Listen, Paul said heck no. I was being nice. If you look at the Greek, what Paul's really saying is no. And it's a heck no, no. It's a serious no. Okay. So keep in mind, when Paul says, are we to sin since we're under grace and not under law? Don't even go there. Don't even go there. Okay? Now, we saw also back in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8a, that if you sow to your flesh, Christians, remember he's writing to Christians, if you sow to your flesh, what will you reap? Destruction. Corruption. This word translated destruction or corruption actually could be translated damage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you how I put it in my notes. So I really want you to hear it in this way. Sin, even though we are free from its eternal penalty, still has power within it to bring decay and destruction. Any life that sows sin in any measure, even though Christian, will reap the results of sin's decay in proportion. I'm going to read it to you again. Sin, even though we are free from its eternal penalty, still has power within it to bring decay and destruction. Any life that sows sin in any measure, even though a Christian life, will reap the results of sin's decay in proportion. You sow to the flesh, you sow sin, it's going to cause damage. There will be damage. God won't be mocked. This isn't like God's wanting to see what kind of sin you do and then he's going to get you. You're about to see that God has already set it up in how he's designed the world and the spiritual realm as well. That if you listen to me, he says, you will be blessed. If you don't listen to me, you'll miss out and you'll suffer because of it. Now, for years, those of us who grew up and were striving to be pure in our sexual relationships, you know, as we were dating and whatever, you know, Satan would come and say, well, God's just trying to steal your joy or he didn't want you to have any fun. No, no, no. God actually was saying, if you listen to what I'm saying, if you do it my way, if you'll stay pure, if you'll marry someone that's pure, this is the best way. It's not... 
well, that would be really fun, but I don't want you to have any fun. It actually, take it from someone who was a virgin when he got married and was married to a virgin. Trust me, it's a wonderful thing to know. I'm married to someone and I'm the only one. There's a lot of blessings. I could go into more detail, but we're not having a sexuality seminar right now. And my wife's breathing a sigh of relief. She was over there holding her breath like, where is he going? But I just want you to hear this. God has designed it that if you will do what he said, that is where the best results will come. Not God will bless you if you listen to him. No, that's where the blessings are. It's in obedience. That's where it is. And again, that'll be, well, go to Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Let's just go there now. Let's just talk about it. Because this passage in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, I, I'll be honest with you, again, another one of those passages, because I was raised under law in, as a Christian, this one was used to threaten me. Numbers 32, verse 23. Did I write it backwards in my notes? Yep. Yep. It's this Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. It says, but 23, verse 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be so sure your sin will find you out. Now, for years, I read this as God will know what you do. And he'll get you for it. I'm going to say it again. When I heard and people said, watch out, your sin will find you out. What they were saying to me, and they were wrong, but what they were saying to me was, God will find out what you've done. Or God will know what you've done and God will get you for it. That's not what the passage says. Look closely. By the way, God already knows every sin I'm going to commit between now and death. And thank God after I die, I won't sin anymore. All right. But he already knows. What this passage is saying is, what will find me out? Will God find me out? No, your sin. Look closely. Your sin will find you out. All right. Why? Exactly. The things we reap from our sin do not come as the punishment of God for doing wrong, but simply they are the fruit of what comes with sin and are choosing not to listen to God's good advice. All right. Inherent in the sin is the consequences. For example, God has set up the law of gravity, correct? If you choose to try to defy the law of gravity and jump off a building, is God punishing you with a broken neck? Or is that just a natural consequence of going against the law of gravity? Of course, exactly. And that's the whole point. In the same way, God has already set it up that if you will listen to me, since I'm the creator of the universe, and I know right from wrong, and I know good and evil. If you will do what I say, blessings will come because that is the best way. And that will, you will reap what's in those obedience to righteousness. If you choose to not listen to me and sin, miss the mark, within the sin itself draws automatic consequences. It's not God going to get you now for what you've done. Actually, your sin is going to get you. All right? And so... Well, let's go back to that passage I told you I was going to go to in Proverbs chapter 1. Go to Proverbs 1. We're going to start in verse 20. And you're going to see that some of your Bibles have a little heading above verse 20 that says the call of wisdom. And if you ever want to have a fun study, take a look at Proverbs chapter 8, 
when uh, wisdom calls and you will see so clearly wisdom is a person. Wisdom is Jesus himself. All right. But listen, in verse 20 of Proverbs 1, wisdom cries aloud in the street and in the market. She raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. How long, O oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. In other words, if you repent, if you repent at my reproof, I'm going to pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called you. Sorry, because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. Did you see that? I will mock when terror strikes you. In other words, you chose to go that way. I'm not going to get you because you've done it. You're not just going to reap what you chose to get. What you put in is what you're going to get out. And now I'm just going to watch. When terror strikes you, verse 27, like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. They'll have the fill of their own devices for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Does anyone remember when Jesus was talking about the two people that build their houses and one built on the rock and the other one built on the sand? And then the storm came and the rock, the house that was built on the rock was secure and the house that was built on the sand was washed away. Was that because God blessed the house that was built on the rock and God punished the house that was built on the sand? No. If you listen to me, God says, and do what I say, it's like someone who builds their house on a rock. The natural result will be you'll be solid. When the trouble comes, you'll be solid. If you build your house on the sand, I'm not punishing you by wiping your house out. You stupidly didn't listen. And now the results of where you built it are what you're going to get. So folks, for years, I, I was told, you better watch out or God's going to find out about your sin and he'll get you. No, no, no. Your sin will find you out. Your sin has with it automatically natural consequences. And they ain't good. Oh, by the way, if you sow a little, you only reap a little. You sow a lot. And here's the problem with sin. And we're going to see this in the book of James. The problem with sin is this. We think we can handle a little. But in time, a little is not enough anymore. Because it's been designed in that way as well. If that little bit that you thought you had under control, all of a sudden you need more. And you can see that with alcohol. You can see that with drugs. You can see that with pornography. What's going to happen is you, you think you, uh, it's only a little thing. Nobody knows. No, I can handle this. Folks, the consequences of sin, what all of a sudden happens is what used to give you pleasure now doesn't. And you need to take it in the next step and the next step. You know, whenever our kids head out to a friend's house or whatever, I always jokingly say to them, don't smoke any beer and drink any cigarettes. And it's just my loving way of saying, stay away from that stuff because it leads you down a slippery slope. It leads you down a slippery slope, you know. And so in the same way, your sin is what gets you. It's not God. He's saying, look, don't go there. 
Because with it comes stuff you don't want. Listen to my reproof. And when you choose to not listen, the calamity is not because I'm punishing you. You're getting what you planted. You plant corn, you're going to get corn. And don't think you can handle it. Because look at what James says in chapter 1 of the book of James, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18 says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do you see the, do you see the progression here? Within each of us, because we still have our flesh, we all have a tendency to sin. And we have appetites, if you will, and desires to do things that are contrary to wisdom and contrary to God and His Word. When you listen to the temptation, it's not a sin to be tempted, because even Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. But when you listen, and that desire gives birth, it's going to give birth to what? Sin. And then sin, listen, when it's fully grown, brings death. Ultimately, that's where you're going to end up if you keep going down that road. At the same time, look closely at how sin is described. Sin, when it's fully grown. Does that give you a picture of the fact that sin grows? It grows. I know of friends of mine that have... I know of one friend of mine that's ended up in jail. He's actually in prison because of a little bit of pornography. And it wasn't dealt with when the Spirit... And he's a Christian. When the Spirit convicted... He didn't respond. When the Spirit brought reproof, he didn't listen. And in time, that little bit of pornography wasn't enough. And he needed a little more and a little, a little more. And then he was online chatting with a young girl to make, meet her. And he doesn't even live in this state, but he decided to meet her in Orlando. And she was a police officer. And this man now may miss, most likely will miss his firstborn's high school graduation. Because sin does grow. Is God mad at him? No. God loves him. And God's been pouring out his grace to him and, and, and healing him and, and moving him forward from here. But there are consequences to sin, folks. And that's why I want you to hear this. Don't think, well, I'll just sow a little bit of sin and I'll be okay because I can handle the, I, the little bit of consequences that I... No, 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 you can't. Please don't think you can. When the Spirit calls and the Spirit convicts, respond immediately. You know why? Because there's another whole thing. We won't even take the time to turn there. But there's another whole study I could talk, take you through tonight to show you that there comes a deadening of our heart to, to the Spirit's talk voice. And as we continually tune out the Spirit, there comes a place that the Bible describes as a hard heart. And if you get a hard heart, wow, that's not a good place to be. And that's, again, another whole study. All right. Now, the Bible is that we 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 have the privilege of, conviction, of being convicted by the Holy Spirit. It's in love. Because in, in the world today, we are doing everything we can not to um, hold, not to let people suffer through the consequences of their poor choices, their sin, and the whole nine yards. We're taking it all away, mm -hmm. desensitizing them to everything. That's right. And it's, it's such a shame. And as a Christian, it's like, 
Even for Christians, God doesn't take away the consequences. Now, I know for me, even when I've sinned in the beginning stages, just even the consequence of me grieving the spirit. Folks, I don't know about you, but I've got a super, super sensitive spirit and I want it to stay that way. But trust me, even sinning a little and grieving the spirit, I, that's not a fun place. I don't want to stay there. I'm literally almost sick to my stomach. But I'd rather that than have a hard heart. Even for Christians, and this is a, this is a, <laughs> I, I want you to stick with me here. I'm about to take some of you down a road you didn't even know existed. Even for Christians, if we choose to continue in sin, I'll say that again, even for Christians, if we choose to continue in sin, living to the flesh, the law of the harvest may result in physical death. Now, I'm not talking spiritual death. Remember, you have been brought from death to life. God promised you if you have been truly born again and he gave you his spirit and sealed you with his spirit, you have been promised eternal, everlasting life. You will not spiritually die. But I'm going to show you scripturally in three places. The Bible clearly teaches that even for Christians, there comes a point where if we allow sin to continue, it may result in physical death where God pretty much says, you're doing more damage than good to my kingdom down here. You're not going to get any better. Uh, you, there's no more opportunity for you to get reward. And so you might as well go come see me now. Well, yes and no. The, the law of the harvest is the law of the harvest for non-Christians as well. Death, physical death does come because of their wrong choices. Plain and simple. I mean, we don't even want to... Make it sound like we're picking any certain group out, but you know, there's HIV, there's, I mean, you do needles, you, you do uh, homosexual relations. I mean, there are consequences that follow. And sometimes it ends in death, even for the non-Christian. But go with me to 1 John. Go to 1 John, chapter 5. It's back there by Revelation. 1 John, chapter 5, look at verses 16 through 17. Some of you are saying, Jim, when are we going to get to this blessing in this passage you're talking about? <laughs> Hang on, you will. You will. All right, 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Here he's just said that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us and we know that we have the thing that we ask. All right? So now he then says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, again, talking to Christians, sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. You see what he's saying is, is some, some sin has with it the consequence of physical death. And I've just made you a promise that if you ask anything according to the will of the Father, he hears you and you got it. If you see your brother in a sin, let me clarify, not the one that leads to death, because if God's decided it's too late, it's too late. But if it's the kind that doesn't lead to death, pray and God will give him life. Because why? Spirit of God wants them to be living in life more than you do. You get children that are away from the Lord, pray that God will bring them to life and that he'll pursue them. Now, everybody wants to know what are the sins that lead to death and what are the ones that don't? There's no such list. As you're about to see, God just chooses when that sin is a sin unto death. And someone may sin a sin that someone else, God said that one's a sin unto death, but for someone else it wouldn't be. So don't think that there's certain sins that bring physical death and other sins that don't. No. Well, what, what is the passage that um, 
Jesus said there is a sin that will be forgiven, which is blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but that passage there is simply talking about the only sin God can't and won't forgive is when His Spirit draws us and calls us to salvation and we reject it. Every other sin will be forgiven. That's, that's eternal death. Right, and, and that's what He was talking about in that passage. Yeah. You see, because He'll forgive rape, He'll forgive incest. There isn't a sin that His death didn't cover. The only sin that won't be covered is when the Spirit of God calls you to salvation and you reject the Spirit's call. That is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. So this passage here in 1 John 5 is not talking about that? Not talking about that at all. He's talking to Christians. Look again. Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death. This is talking about Christians. Well, let me give you an example. Go to Acts chapter 5. Who is my brother? <laughs> in this passage, it's Christians. In this one, it's Christians. And the guy that originally asked that question, he was looking for a loophole. Where did you say that to himself? Acts chapter 5. He's saying, pray to God that your brother or your sister that's in sin right now would be restored. That is something God wants. Well, how, many, how many pastors do we know that are involved in pornography? Mm -hmm. Or how many Christians do you know have gone through, you know? Exactly. He's saying, years. by the way, and that, we don't even, have, again, we could go down another whole road. That whole section in James, though, that talks about bringing before the elders after everything in oil with oil, people try to turn it into like using special oil. That's simply saying some people's sickness is tied to their sin. Now, please don't hear that the Bible teaches that if you're sick, it's because you sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. But there is some physical ailments that's tied to our disobedience. It does manifest itself in that. And he's saying, look, if someone's sick, after having been to the doctor, that's what the after anointing with oil actually means. After having been to the doctor, bring them before the elders of the church. And then it even says, and then it'll be healed. And he also says, if he sinned, see how it's tying the sin with the healing? That's another whole study. We don't want to go down that road for right now. Look at Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have committed, contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Listen closely. I believe without question, I can show you for a couple of reasons from this passage. Ananias and Sapphira were Christians. One, it wasn't easy to be a part of the church at that point, was it? Not just anybody wanted to be a part of the church because you were almost put to death. Secondly, when they lied, they lied to the Holy Spirit within them. Did they sin by holding back some of the property money? No. 
He said, look, it was yours to do with when it was the property. And when you sold, you're still at your disposal. What they lied, what they, their sin was, they decided to pretend they gave the whole amount when that wasn't really what happened. And God chose, I believe, for the purpose of reminding the early church that sin is still serious. He chose to say, time's up, you're done. And boy, don't you know that people all of a sudden took lying pretty serious in that church. Now, did other people lie afterwards? I'm sure. Did they die? Probably not. But if you think, and I'll get right to you, Allison, if you think back to the early part of the nation of Israel, when they go into the promised land and they defeat Jericho, and then the next city they go to is Ai, but they had been told, don't take any of the stuff in Jericho as your own. Achan takes some of the gold and some of the stuff and hides it, and God doesn't go with them, and there's consequences. And then what happened to Achan and his whole family? God, in that instance, had them all put to death. Again, God does decide sometimes I'm taking you home. Doesn't mean you lose your salvation. You will lose a lot of future reward. And we're going to get to that in a second. Allison. Well, we see in Egypt that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yep. There are stages to the hardening of the heart before it's done. Exactly. And so we don't see, you're not given that in each of these instances. But it's, it's not something that they just woke up that morning and their heart was suddenly hard. It, we desensitize ourselves to sin every single time we commit one. Yep. And so it gets to that point where God knows, you know what, your heart isn't coming back. You are not, yep. you're not going to help, you're not going to be mine here mm -hmm. anymore. Yep. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, just with the help, uh, Proverbs 3, 7, and 8 mm -hmm. goes like this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Did you catch that? Obe Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. The, uh, obedience to God's word will affect your flesh. It will affect your body. There will be some health involved. But again, that's another whole study. Let me show you one other passage. Go to 1 Corinthians. You're in the book of Acts. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And look at verses 27 through 32. Now I want you to listen closely because some of you that grew up in the church were taught... Something I think was incorrect about this passage. So listen closely. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we truly would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're judged by the Lord. We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, here he's talking about how they were taking the Lord's Supper incorrectly. But in the context, how they were taking it incorrectly was they weren't waiting for each other. It was supposed to be a fellowship meal. They weren't sharing with each other. Some were just coming and getting drunk. Others were just not sharing what they had with their brother. And when he talks about not considering the body, he's talking about the body of Christ. And in the context, look at what he says in verse 32, the 33, the very next verse. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let them eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I'll give directions when I come. This whole context of considering the body and the blood is actually referring to how they were treating each other. For years, we were told that if you weren't solemn, at that moment, you know, you've got to seriously consider the body and the blood. And I remember as a little kid sitting there going, 
if I'm, am I considering it enough, you know, kind of a thing, you know, and of course then I got more interested in getting that last little drop out of the cup every time because I didn't want to waste any of it and all this kind of stuff. But, but look at what he says. Some of the people, because of their disobedience and how they were treating each other, they were sick. And others, God took them home. So folks, I just, I, I don't want to bum you out because we're about to get to the great news. I don't want to bum you out, but I want to teach you what the whole Bible teaches. The law of the harvest has consequences. Are you, are you free of the penalty of sin in the sense of hell? Yes. You're no longer under law in that sense where God's going to judge whether or not you're heaven or hell because of whether or not you've been good. That has nothing to do with it. But because the consequences of sin are in the sin itself, when you as Christians choose to still sin, you're not escaping the consequences because I'm under grace. No, the sin itself still carries with it consequences. That's why God said, stay away from it. You know, you stick your hand in the cobra hole, it will bite you. Did it bite you because God's punishing you? No, it's doing what it does. And sin's gonna do to you what it does. Please listen to God. Don't, it's sad how many times over the years, and I've shared with this with you before, how many pastoral visits I had people come to my office just to ask how close to sin they could actually get. What if I do this? Is that sin? What about this? How? And they were literally saying, I know God's word said this is sin, but how close can I get? Yeah, they focus on the wrong. They, they definitely had to focus on the wrong. Yes, the question means they've already said it in their mind. Oh, they, 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 they definitely want to go tiptoe there, and you already know they're tripping over it. All right, some of you are saying, okay, Jim, where is this blessing in this passage that you were talking about? Well, go back to Galatians 6 and look at verse 8. Remember in verse 8, he said, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap destruction or decay, because it comes with sin. But, listen closely, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now you say, wait a minute, Jim, we already got eternal life. No, no, no. This word translated eternal life actually in the Greek is the life that is of the life of all lives. All right, this is life to the full. Does that sound familiar? Remember how Jesus made a promise? The thief comes, John 10, 10, to, own, to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or abundant life. This is the kind of life he's talking about. We've already got eternal life. But you don't all have abundant life. I'm going to say it again. You have, as a Christian, eternal life already in the sense that you're saved and you will live forever with God. But you have to reap the reward of the harvest of righteousness to get this abundant life. Okay? And this is what it's talking about. All right? Now, just as sure as sin inherently has consequences, so too does obedience and righteousness promise and guarantee reward. All right? We will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. This same God who's not mocked, this same God who's not fooled, there isn't anything that you do in obedience to Him that you won't be rewarded for. Let me say it again. Anything you do in obedience to God, He is keeping record and you will be rewarded. All right? Go to Ephesians. We're right here at the end of Galatians. Just flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at what it says. I want you to see a little bit of the picture of this promised abundant life and this future reward in this life and in the life to come. 
All right, Ephesians 1, verse 3, and then verse 18. Paul says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let me say that again. In Christ, you have available to you now, if you will walk in obedience. Remember, law of the harvest. You've got to walk with the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap decay, because that's what's going to happen. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap this abundant life. And listen to what he says. Every spiritual blessing in heaven is available to you right now. I don't think, well, what does the Bible say? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has the mind even conceived what God has in store for those who love him. Folks, I, I wish I could tell you how awesome it is. But let me just say, Paul said, let me just tell you, the present suffering ain't even worth being compared with the glory to be revealed. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, Paul says, he's, been pray he's praying for them. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Folks, this is more than just going to heaven. This is more than just, I'm just glad to be there. This is more. Because look back at what he says here in verse 9. And let us, chapter 6, by the way, of Galatians, Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap, what? If we don't give up. I wrote it down in my notes this way. Paul says, we will reap. Someone might say, but I don't see a harvest. We will reap. But I'm thinking about just coasting until the end. If you give up, you'll miss out on some of the future harvest. Plain and simple. Yes, you're going to be in heaven. But folks, if Jesus said to store up treasure in heaven, I think we should take it pretty serious. And just because you're going to heaven isn't your reward. See, you're rewarded for obedience and righteousness. Heaven is a gift. But there's more. There's more. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and following, Paul talks about how one will plant, another will water. And then on top of that foundation of Christ, you've got to be careful what you build. He says, if you build with wood, hay, and stubble, when the time of testing comes, remember we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to reckon with us according to what we've done in the body after salvation, whether good or worthless. If what we have built survives, we'll receive our reward. If what we built is burnt up, he himself will suffer loss. He'll be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Folks, I don't know how it works. I don't know how it plays out. But the Bible clearly teaches that for eternity... How we live here will affect our reaping in the life to come. I mean, some of you right now feeling like you're kind of on the short stick because someone has more than you in this life. How would you like to live that way for eternity? Well, say, so Jim, I'll be in heaven. I, I don't know how it works, but if Jesus is saying there will be a difference. And oh, by the way, he said the ones that are first in this life are probably going to be the ones last in the next life. And the ones that are seemingly last in this life are going to be the ones that are first in the other life. Folks, all I can do is just encourage you. There's a blessing here. He's saying to us in love, there's a law of the harvest. Jim, I'm going to personalize it. Jim, don't sin. Not because I'm going to get you if you do, but simply because when you make those choices, stuff comes with it that I don't want for you. And let me give you another awesome promise. If you will do what I ask you in this life and in the life to come, Jesus put it this way. You can double check me later on. It's in the book of Luke. He will receive a hundred times as much. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I was just looking at that broad range, like you said, Corinthians being um, everything we've done being saved us through, through fire and everything being burnt up. And in Revelations, it says, for he who overcomes, I'll grant him to rule with me on my throne. Exactly. Uh, think about it. Think about it. I'll let you sit on the throne with me. Wow. Folks, I, I'm about to hurt your heads as we wrap up tonight, but it's worth it. It's worth it. All right. God knows your future because he's already all knowing. Correct. You don't know what your future reward will look like. Right. God knows if you'll die for him or deny him. Just ask Peter. Right. Peter didn't know what he was going to do tomorrow. He didn't know what he's having for breakfast, but God already knew. God knows everything. God is outside of time. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Now, I'm going to blow something up. So many people, when they find out this truth, say, well, if God already knows, then I really don't have a choice and it's just going to be. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. Some might say, if God knows what time and where tomorrow to work, I really don't have a choice. Listen to me. The Bible says you do have a choice. And just because God already knows what the future is, has not removed your opportunity right now to choose your future. Amen. It is not written. God knows how it will play out because he's outside of time. But that doesn't mean that it's fatalistic. It's already done. What's going to be is going to be. Uh, -uh. You have a choice. Jesus, when he walked all the way to Jerusalem in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, and Mark chapter 9, verse 32, and Mark, I'm sorry, verse 30, and Mark chapter 10, verse 32, as he was going to Jerusalem, he kept saying to his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. They're going to hand me over to the chief priests and the Gentiles. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to kill me. But three days later, I'll rise. He kept saying it to him over and over and over. He knew it was going to happen. Yet, when he got there, he wept over the city and said, if only you would have let me, I would have. But you weren't willing. God's foreknowledge does not remove your choice. And I have already started to see in this, when I have these temptations to sin, my choice not is, do I do what God says or do I do it? I'm now looking at what I'm going to reap for what I do. Jesus in the garden had a choice. He sure had a choice. He yes, he did. So I want to give you three passages that I want you to write down. I'm going to read them to you real quick and we'll wrap up with this. But I want to give you three passages from the scriptures, all in the Old Testament, that have shown this all along. Deuteronomy chapter 30 is where we're going to start. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 19. And actually, what I'm about to read to you sums up the entire lesson that we've just done. He said, Jim, why don't you just read that first? <laughs> Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 19. Listen to what God says. Speaking of the nation of Israel, as they're about to head into the promised land. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. It's all there in the natural law of the harvest, folks. 
You want reward? You want blessing? And, and please, I'm not a health and wealth person, but there is a scriptural teaching along this line. You want health? It's there. It's available. That doesn't mean that everybody shouldn't be sick. That's not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible does talk about the fact, as you pointed out, our obedience does have an effect on our health. Go to Psalm 19. He says, you, you, you want to choose not to listen to me? The natural consequences are you're going to suffer. Psalm 19, look at verses 7 through 11. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is what? Great reward. It's been there all along. Paul wasn't threatening and saying, boy, don't be deceived. If you sin, God's going to get you. That's how I read that all those years. No, he's saying the law of the harvest has been all the way through the whole scripture. If you choose to go down that road of sin, you're going to reap destruction. It's going to cause damage. But we got a God who's gracious and merciful. And he says, give me what you got. And if we go to, we see someone caught in a transgression context, you who are spiritual, go restore him gently. Because that's how God is. He's not wanting us to sin. He's not wanting us to fall into that. He's not wanting us to reap the consequences of bad choices. He's wanting us to listen. And I'll give you one last one. And so this one I think is my favorite. Proverbs 11, verse 18. Proverbs 11, verse 18. The whole study in one verse. The wicked, verse 18 of Proverbs 11, the wicked earns deceptive wages. But one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Now, we'll get to next week about doing good, especially to those of the household of faith. But for tonight, folks, don't see that passage as, oh, God's going to get me if I do bad. He's just saying, I love you. Don't go down that road. Go down this road. And I promise you, just as sure as sin, your sin will find you out. The consequences, if you will, or the results of your obedience will reap a big harvest. Don't be weary in doing good. Because you will reap an incredible reward if you don't give up. Yes, ma'am. In Genesis 8, 22, it says, While the earth remains, sea time and forest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. Yep. The law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for the folks that are here tonight and, and others that are listening online and their hunger for your word and your spirit working in their hearts to teach them truth. Father, thank you for your patience with me and how you've helped me see the depth of your word and how you love us. And what for years Satan wanted me to be afraid of is actually a loving cautioning of what will happen if I go down that road. Lord, I pray now for all of us that have been caught up in sin's results and consequences that we will humble ourselves and turn to you and acknowledge the fact that if we're still sensitive to your call, if we are still able to respond in repentance, it's not too late. And we 
if we will just turn to you, we'll, you'll pour out your spirit as you showed us and you'll teach us your words and you'll give us life. Father, thank you for the fact that you are the God who repays us for the years the locusts have eaten. And at the same time, you are storing up for us an eternal reward that is beyond our comprehension. Father, sometimes it's hard to keep going because we don't see a reward. We don't see a harvest. We don't see a reaping. But you've told us tonight to trust you. Just as sure as we have definitely seen the consequences of sin, we will see the results of obedience. In your name we pray. Amen.